This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we have a super special episode for you. We're going to take you to Orlando, Florida, and Kansas City, Missouri for two amazing shows. First, we'll welcome to the stage the man behind Popcorn Finance, Chris Browning. And then, we welcome the man who's the voice of the pre- and post-game shows for the Kansas City Royals. That's baseball people, you money nerds. Turn on the sports station once in a while, will ya? Anyway, it's Joel Goldberg. Chris is going to tackle money wins and mistakes, while Joel will interview the president of the Negro League's baseball museum, Bob Kendrick. And now, two guys who are already packing their bags for Detroit, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. Hey, welcome to Midweek. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And Doug's got that right, OG. We've got our bags packed and we are headed to Detroit tonight. So if you're anywhere in the Detroit suburbs, come say hi. It's going to be fun. Do it. Do it. Seth we Re- promise something. Seth, it may not be fun or exciting. but Seth Resler and the Debrief Podcast, they'll be fun and exciting. Our featured guest, Shannon Kaysan, he'll be exciting. Us? Eh, maybe. Serviceable. Yes, absolutely. You get what you pay for. And it only costs 10 bucks, so that's a good reason exactly. to go. Exactly. Come meet us, by the way. It's at Go Comedy Improv Theater on Nama Road in uh, Ferndale, Michigan. That's a suburb just north of Detroit. Of course, I should need to say that because if you're from the Detroit area, you know exactly where Ferndale is. But I know where this podcast is because today we got a very special episode, as Doug mentioned. We are going to take you to Orlando and to Kansas City for our opening shows. And we chose these people, OG, as you know, for a good reason. And that's because they are awesome. And didn't they bring it? These guys brought it. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Before we get rolling, I'd like to say a big thanks to our sponsors for the tour. That's Bloom with three O's. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Bloom. People know how much we rail on, we, we totally rail on Target Day Funds. If you're interested in a Target Day Fund, why wouldn't you check out Bloom instead? Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Bloom. Also, TIAA celebrating their centennial 100 years by celebrating difference makers around the country. They gave away $10,000 each to 100 different difference makers. And we had a couple of them on our live shows. 
and they have just been amazing people doing great, great ins- crazy good stories, inspirational yep. work. And we're so happy to meet all of these difference makers to find out more about the TIA difference maker program and to take your difference maker quiz head to TIAA difference maker, 100.org. That's TIAA difference maker, 100.org, 100 nonprofits doing great work around the country. And we're happy that TIA was with us on this tour. All right. We've got two great shows for you. Let's kick it off, OG, in Orlando, where our friend, how great is Chris Browning? That was your first time meeting Chris, wasn't it? I think that we met at FinCon the year before, but... Actually, I think you are right. I think you did meet at FinCon the year before. Yeah, but Chris, fantastic guy. Super cool guy. Popcorn Finance Podcast. Right after we recorded this, this is really cool. He won the Plutus for Best New Financial Podcast. So here's a sample of him and his work live from Orlando. Let's go to Orlando, where we'll hear Chris Browning and the Popcorn Finance Podcast. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm very excited to be here. I've, I'm really happy that, that they've decided to take their mission to go across the country and teach no one anything. So I think... <laughs> I think this is great, and none of this will probably be helpful to anyone out there, so I appreciate that, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, my name is Chris. As Joe said, I host a show called Popcorn Finance. It's a short-form podcast to discuss finance about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. So, because tonight's special, i do something a little bit longer. So, it'll be about three or four bags we're going to pop tonight. Nothing too long, but just a little bit longer. And so, on my show, I'll talk about uh, a variety of topics. So, everything from investing to side hustles to my love of tiny homes. And so, I don't know if any of you are familiar with tiny homes, if you've ever seen one, right? They're great. If you haven't seen them, just Google tiny homes. You won't be disappointed. I'm not tiny, but I still love them. They're, 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 they're pretty good. And so, you know, uh, I also talk a lot about debt. And, you know, on my show, I've shared my story how, you know, at one point in my, in my life, I had about $27,000 of credit card debt. And it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't, it wasn't a good time at all. And that debt was made up of a lot of different things. So there was uh, a wedding that we had to pay for ourselves. Uh, there was food. Uh, there was, um, you know, we had a medical bills and we had some more food. It was just overall, we, we just spent money that we didn't have. And, you know, it, it's something that we, that we, we struggle with to, to kind of get things together, change, change our, our lifestyle. But, you know, we, we paid off the debt and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's better now. <laughs> but, you know, it's, spending is still something that I struggle with. It's still something that, that is something that creeps up and I have to catch myself. So I thought tonight would be a good night to hold the first ever Popcorn Finance Spenders Anonymous meeting. Because, <laughs> because you know, we're going to get through this together. So it, just to help everyone out, I'll, I'll get things started to, you know, break the ice. My name is Chris. I'm... Thank you. <laughs> I am 31 years old, and I am a spender. You know, all right? I've been spending for as long as I can remember. Uh, it's all just a blur. It's just, you know... But it feels good to get it off my chest. Hopefully that makes you all feel a little bit better, a little, little more at ease, because I have a couple of questions that I'm going to throw out there to all of you. So, you know, get ready, get prepared. So, uh, but I want to give you a little background on the questions before I throw them out there to you. So earlier this year, back in July, I was in Philadelphia. I was at a conference called Podcast Movement. And it's a place where a bunch of podcasters all across the country, they come together. And it's people from, right? It's people from the U.S., people from outside of the U.S. It's, it's a cool place. So I figured, since there's so many people from so many different areas, why not do a little bit of research? I have a nice broad group of people to work with. So I went around and I asked everyone these two questions. 
said, what is the best thing that you've ever spent money on? And what's the worst thing that you've ever spent money on? And I was asking these two questions because I think when you look back on your purchases and you kind of think about how that made you feel, you can kind of determine where your values are. So if you look back, you look at a purchase, you're like, that was a horrible decision. Or you say, you know, I really, I really enjoyed that. So I feel a way you can help control your spending is to kind of just say, I'm only going to buy things that bring value to me. And you know, I, I just recently finished reading uh, The Year of Less by Kate Flanders. It was a great book. So that's kind of been on my mind, like value, controlling your spending, just kind of just reevaluating things. So uh, I'll share with you some of my, my favorite answers that I heard from the group before I throw it out there to everyone. So we'll start with, we'll start with uh, the best thing. And I, I got an answer from Justin. He gave, I think, a perfect example of this question. So I, I asked him and he said that the best thing that he ever spent money on was a trip with his kids. He said he got to go out, they got to make some great memories, they got to get to know each other a little bit better. He said he's something to just remember for the rest of their lives. So I think it's a great example of you know, something that he really valued. So, and then the next answer I got, this comes from someone who's kind of well known in the, the finance space and the uh, entrepreneurship world. So I won't use his real name, just kind of give him some privacy. Uh, we'll just call him Matt. Um, we'll say Matt Lynn is his name. And <laughs> Matt Lynn is a really huge Back to the Future fan. And so when I asked him this question, he said that the best thing they ever spent money on was a, as an original 1985 film reel for the first trailer to Back to the Future. And so he said it was a little expensive, but for him, this is a movie that has a lot of value for him. He really enjoys it, something he keeps now in a case in his office. So for him, you know, this is valuable to him. This is something that he, he thinks this is a good use of his money. And for someone else, it may say they don't like it, but I think it's all personal. And so now we'll go to my, my personal favorite question, which is what's the worst thing that you've ever spent money on? And so uh, the first answer, this comes from Liz, and she said her law degree. And that was pretty much, I guess you can you gotta figure out what she meant by that. Uh, so I'll just move on from that one. And then the next one was from Gabby. And she said that the worst thing that she ever spent money on was an Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas album. <laughs> and, and her quote was, this was literally the worst music that I've ever heard. And it still haunts her to this day that she wasted her money on this. And I don't know, I didn't ask her how much she paid for this. I don't know if it was $20, if it was $5. Regardless, it was just way too much money for her. So, I think that, that kind of gives you a good example of, you know, some answers when it comes to something you value, something you don't value when it comes to spending your money. So I want to throw it out there. Uh, so we'll just start with the best thing. Does anyone have an example of the best thing you've ever spent money on? I'll, I'll repeat it so everyone can hear it. Any volunteers? All right, we'll go for it. I saw you first. Uh, my rescue dog. Oh, my rescue dog. That's a great answer. I like that one. And I've actually heard that one before, too. That's a good answer. Someone else? Want to go? All right, go for it. Cleaning ladies. <laughs> that's a good one. I think you can get a price on getting your time back. That's, that's a good one. All right, go for it. Three months backpacking through South America. Three months backpacking through South America. That's, that sounds like fun. Okay. That one. All right, well, I can take one more. Anyone else? All right, go. Uh, Dave Ramsey's Totally Money Makeover. <laughs> you know, I just read that book. And you know what? He's very polarizing. But I think it's good information. I think it's a good foundation for anyone to start with. All right, now, my personal favorite again. So, uh, someone have an example of the worst thing you've ever spent money on? I was at the height of the market. <laughs> okay. I... <laughs> Can I repeat that? <laughs> Said Dave Ramsey's 21 day makeover. Do I have any other, any other uh, volunteers? All right, go for it. A convertible in Seattle. 
How long did you keep that for? Did you put the top down? Okay. Snapchat spectacles. Snapchat spectacles. Those are real hot for a while. All right, I'll get one more. Go for it. A stupid, useless vehicle SUV, especially because gas is going up. So, but I think this this gives uh, some good examples of you know how people feel about the purchases they make. And you know, for me, I, um, I'll go through this quickly. My, for me, the best thing I ever bought because uh, I'm, I'm really into gadgets. That's my thing. I uh, was a pair of those like Apple headphones, those AirPods, and I thought they looked ridiculous when I first saw them, and they were kind of expensive. But they, they got good reviews, so I picked them up, something I use every day now, so I think that's why I value it, because most gadgets I either sell on eBay or they just go in a drawer and I never see them again. And then for, for the worst thing I've ever spent money on, that I have to go back to, I was around 17 years old, and you know, I was at home, and it was getting late at night, the rest of my family had gone to sleep already, and you know, what most teenagers do, it's late at night, you start flipping through the TV, and you know where you're going, you kind of know the channels you're heading towards, and then, you know, I got to where I thought I was going to, and that was to the channel where they turned to infomercials all night long. You ever, it was just, just straight infomercials. And, you know, I, I love gadgets, so for some reason, I gravitated towards, like, kitchen appliance gadgets. So it's like the little sandwich makers, and then they have the, that one syringe you can, like, throw in a roast, and it'll throw, like, whole cloves of garlic in there and marinade. And then, like, the, I think the, the biggest one of all is that, that rotisserie that you can put, like, a whole turkey in. And then their catchphrase is, you said it, and you forget it, right? So I, 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 lo I love infomercials. I have no reason why. I just, I just do. So my friends, we were at the mall, and we saw one of those ass seen on TV stores. They just opened it up. And I was like, you know, we got to go in. It's like walking into every infomercial that's ever existed. You just go in there, you can see all the products. So we go in there, and the first product that caught my eye was this pancake-making pan. And I know what you're probably thinking is, like, aren't all pans pretty much pancake-making <laughs> pan? <laughs> and, and yeah, they're pretty much, you can cook a pancake almost in, in any type of pan. But this was special because it was, a picture like a non-stick pan, but on top is a lid, it's kind of hinged on top. And it's the exact same size as a pan, and has the same non-stick little coating on it. So the idea is, you put your batter in the pan, you put the lid down, you cook it on one side, then you flip the whole thing over, and you cook it on the, the lid, essentially. So I was like, oh, this is, this, is, this is brilliant, right? But now looking back, I'm like, well, it's not really that hard to use a spatula, so I don't know <laughs> why this was a good idea. But you know, sometimes you're using a spatula, the pancake like breaks and you end up with like a weird shape one. So I was like, this will exponentially increase my ability to make pancakes. So I buy it, I go home. For some reason, all of my friends come with me to my parents' kitchen and we're in there making pancakes. So I take the pan out, I put it on the stove, turn on the fire, get it all ready, start making the batter. And then I, I'm getting ready to make my first pancake. I have an audience of guys, 17-year-old guys, we're all in this kitchen, we're making pancakes. And so I pour the batter, and then I make my first mistake, which was I just close the lid. And with most food, you, you probably should be able to see it when you're cooking it. But I was like, you know, I've cooked a lot of pancakes in my life. I'll, I know when to flip this over. So put the lid down, start cooking it. I'm like, all right, now it's time to flip it. So I lift it up. You just flip the whole thing over, and I just dropped it down on the stove. And that's when I noticed my second mistake, which was there's about a half inch gap between the lid and the pan itself, and I didn't realize that. And because the lid was closed, I didn't know that the pancake wasn't cooked. It was really just like hot batter at that point. So when I dropped it on the stove, the batter just shot out of the sides. And it went everywhere. It was on the stove, it was on my shirt, the counter, the floor. And that was the last time I ever used that pan. I just let it cool off and I just threw it in the trash, basically. So I think that was the first experience I had with buying something with my own money, being excited and realizing I just wasted it essentially. So b before we go, I want to leave you with these last words. If
if you're out at the store, you picked up something that looks really exciting because it's on sale, or you have your computer, you're throwing things in your cart, I want you to just take a deep breath. I want you to put the item down, step away from your computer, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just think of these words to help you remember this show. Using a spatula isn't that hard. So, so thank you, appreciate it. How about that, Chris Browning bringing it in Orlando? That was so fun. I love popcorn. Well, <laughs> caramel popcorn. That was so fun. Such a good show. Hey, and you think that was good. Wait till you hear the second half of this show, and uh, we're about to talk about that in a second. But we'd like to thank our sponsors for this tour. First of all, Bloom. If you've got a 401k, I'm sure you know how frustrating it is deciding what to invest in without professional help. Now, there's a better way to grow your 401k. Bloom with three O's is simple, smart, and affordable way to grow your 401k. Head online to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Bloom to find out more because with Bloom, you simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps. You don't have to move it. You can leave it right where it is. Then you sit back and relax while Bloom will perform an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and choose the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing those hidden investment fees. Their pricing is only $10 a month, regardless of your account size. They're like a robo-advisor for your 401k. It takes only five minutes, and then your retirement set up until you cancel. Seriously, if you do this yourself, you might be fine, but tell that friend that wants nothing to do with it that's going to the target date fund, five minutes Bloom, way better than that target date fund in your 401k, stackybedjamins.com forward slash B-L-O-O-O-M. And by the way, if you go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Bloom and enter promo code SB, you'll get your first month free and you can see the difference Bloom can make in your retirement. This tour was also brought to you by TIAA. TIAA knows there's nothing more important than making a difference. And that's why TIA is celebrating its centennial by honoring the difference makers of the world. Want to know what kind of a difference maker you are? Check out the TIA Difference Maker Quiz at quiz.tia.org. Are you a giver? You a believer? I love taking that quiz, by the way. OG, you should take the quiz. I'd like to see how much of a giver you are. 100%. 110%. You're like off the charts giver. TIA is also recognizing people who are making a positive impact on the world. A hundred difference makers were honored with $10,000 each to support the nonprofit where they make a difference. That's a hundred donations totaling a million dollars. We're going to meet one again tonight in Detroit. So excited about that. Honorees were announced October 1st. And if you want to look at the different difference makers around the country, TIA differencemaker100.org. That's TIA, differencemaker100.org. To learn more about the Difference Maker 100 program, take the interactive TIA Difference Maker quiz to find out what type of difference maker you are or see seriously inspiring stories around the nation. Speaking of inspiring, this second half of the show, Joel Goldberg has a fairly new podcast called Rounding the Bases. If you don't know who Joel is, he is the pre- and post-game voice of Kansas City Royals baseball games. And uh, it was just cool getting to know Joel, wasn't it? Super cool guy. Kansas City, not the strongest season this year, but But, he's effervescent. I was going to say, but a strong media lineup regardless. Yes. Yes. Joel was fantastic. And by the way, he said that uh, he's going to catch up again with the basement when he comes to Detroit with the team. So that'll be fun uh, seeing Joel when he and the team come to Detroit. But we saw him here in Kansas City. His guest was unbelievable. This May so far, I've loved our shows, OG. 
but I think you got to admit his guest here might've been the best guest that any of our shows have had so far. I think so. Yeah. Arguably. Definitely. Let's listen in to our live show from Kansas city, Missouri and Joe Goldberg in the rounding the bases live podcast. Welcome in the Rounding the Bases. And this is different. I do this podcast about every other week, and I do not do it from my mother's basement, but I do it from my office, I suppose. And it's not a sports po- podcast, but it's using sports references. But I feel like today, you know, I, last year at Arrowhead, I, I don't know if anybody went, I, I went and saw the U2 concert, and the opening act was Beck. So I'm Beck, and Joe is Bono, and OG is The Edge. Anyway. I'll leave the humor to them. And Doug is um, the other guy. (laughs) Wait till you see that shirt in the lights. So welcome in, and here's the deal. I I do this podcast every other week. It's not a baseball podcast. It's not a Royals podcast. It's called Rounding the Bases, but really it's taking the lessons of sports, and especially baseball, and applying them to everyday life. And so... One of my favorite quotes comes from Buck O'Neill, and it'll lead to my guest tonight. Buck O'Neill said, nothing better than baseball, it teaches all the lessons. And I believe that because baseball's every day. It's not once a week, it's every day. And it's a sport of failure. And, and we all know in life, whether it be uh, with work, whether it be for entrepreneurs, whether it be with our kids, our family, that there's a lot of failure in life, and you have to, you have to figure it out. So, with that said, I want to bring up, and, and I do about 300 Royals shows a summer, 150 pregames, 150 postgames. My favorite guest, and we talk about this, and we have him on two to three times a year, is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I believe one of the greatest storytellers that, that I have ever met, certainly of his generation. So, let's bring up Bob Kendrick. who I always know, whatever I wear, he will outdress me. (laughs) The best dressed guy in town, he took off the hat, trying to at least allow me to look a little bit better. Bob, let's, let's talk, and for folks that are listening all around the country, or even here in Kansas City, they may not know about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and the Negro Leagues. How about a little Cliff's Notes version? Well, first and foremost, it is the world's only museum dedicated to preserving and celebrating the rich history of African-American baseball and its profound impact on the social advancement of America. And quite frankly, y'all, that's the... I think that statement is what grabs the hearts, the minds, the imaginations of the thousands who come to visit us. I think the work that, Joe, we've done over the last 28 years, people come expecting to meet some great baseball players, and you're going to leave not being disappointed. You're going to meet some of the greatest baseball players to ever put on a uniform, but by the time you walk away from that experience, I truly believe you walk away with a greater appreciation for just how great this country really is. And the story of the Negro Leagues is a story that really belongs to Kansas City because the origins of the Negro Leagues began right around the corner from where we operate at the old Paseo YMCA. So the leagues were actually formed in Kansas City in 1920. They would operate amazingly for 40 years, from 1920 until 1960. 
Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. 13 years after Jackie, the Negro Leagues are still operating, but it took Major League Baseball 12 years before every Major League team had at least one black baseball player. And so the Negro Leagues Museum tells that story. And guys, is nothing sad about this story. No, man, it's a celebration. It is the celebration of the power of the human spirit to persevere and prevail. Yeah, they refuse to accept the notion that they're unfit to share in the joys of America's so-called national pastime. So you won't let me play with you, and I'll just create a league of my own. Yeah, and, and you stop to think about that. That is the American way. So even though America was trying to prevent them from sharing in the joys of her so-called national pastime, it was the American spirit that allowed them to persevere and prevail. And that, that's a, a beautiful thing and, again, gets back to overcoming adversity. So, so much of what I talk about in this podcast is about succeeding in business and creating culture. So I want to look back to the 1920s, 30s, 40s. What was the culture from a business standpoint, from a personality standpoint? What was the culture of the Negro Leagues? Well, it was nothing the way that it has been portrayed to be. And sometimes I think we get lost in the romantic nature of these incredible athletes who endured and overcame adversity to play the game that they love, that we fail to realize that the Negro Leagues were the third largest black-owned business in this country. Yeah, it only trailed black-owned insurance companies who emerged during that era of American segregation and would insure African Americans just enough to bury us. Uh -huh. Then black-owned insurance companies came about and not only insured my livelihood, but insured my stock, insured my crop, insured my home, and as a result made millions of dollars. Next was Madam C.J. Walker. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with the name Madam C.J. Walker, but you should be. Because Madam C.J. Walker would become this country's first self-made businesswoman millionaire of any skin color. Mm. And you know how she did it? Doing black hair. Mm -hmm. You know sisters going to get their hair done. Yeah, yeah, she was doing black hair. And Madam C.J. had schools of cosmetology in every major urban city in this country and became the first woman to earn a million dollars of the business structure. Next was Negro Leagues Baseball. And you mentioned our friend, the late, great Buck O'Neill, who said all you needed was a bus, two sets of uniforms, and you'd have 20 of the greatest athletes who ever lived. They could play, but this was thriving business. And wherever you had successful black baseball, you had thriving black economies. So when we talk about entrepreneurship, there is some early entrepreneurship here in the United States. Now, you and I could go on and on forever, but we, we also know that we've got more coming up. So I don't want to get lost in too much here. I don't want to make sure that we hit some, some, some really interesting topics. I speak a lot about leadership. And, and the reason why I like to talk about it a lot is that in the world of sports, you see so much leadership, whether it be from the baseball manager or that, that leader in the clubhouse, that, that guy that could rally all of the, the troops. So tell me about the leadership in the Negro Leagues and also the leadership style of, of Buck O'Neill. Well, and, and I think those things are really interesting because it goes back to Rube Foster again. Rube Foster was an absolute genius. Rube Foster, guys, is the greatest baseball mind this sport has ever seen that nobody knows anything about. 
even though he is rightfully enshrined in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Root Foster was the preeminent leader. Uh, Root Foster, you can make a case, is one of the, if not the most important person in baseball history. But Root Foster had a vision even then. To put it in perspective, Root Foster, when he formed the Negro Leagues, had either ownership or booking rights of four of the original eight Negro League teams. He divested ownership and three kept the Chicago American Giants but in a deal with the Negro Leagues, was paid 15% of the annual gate. Well, in 1920 alone, over 400,000 fans attended Negro League games. You do the math. Yeah, he, he, Rich was a, Rube was a very wealthy man, but he, he was savvy enough in the 1920s, talk about leadership, he took star players from some of his teams and dispersed them among the other teams in the league. Why? because he wanted to create competitive balance. They haven't figured that out in the major leagues today. Still working on it. Yeah, no, now this is 1920, and he was that far ahead. He thought it would create a league that was so dynamic that it would force Major League Baseball's hand to expand. Uh-huh. Instead, Major League Baseball focused on the field. Now, Buck, a quiet leader, had that deep baritone voice that when he talked, he had something to say. And the great George Altman, who played in the Negro Leagues for Buck here in Kansas City, went on to have a fabulous major league career in Chicago and St. Louis, uh, New York Mets, then going over to Japan, still says today that Buck O'Neill was the greatest manager that he ever played for. He just knew how to get the most out of guys. And, and I think great managers figure that out. You know, some you got to kick in the rump. Others, you got to put your arm around the shoulder, you know, to get the most out of him. And Buck seemed to always know how to do it. He did that when he formed the Negro League Baseball Museum. He had to kick me in my rump. But, you know, <laughs> that's all right. I take it from Buck, I'll take it. I'll take it. But, no, you wanted to play for Buck. You just wanted to play for him. You wanted to win for Buck. And I think it's the same thing now carrying on his legacy at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Which you all are doing so well, and, and we're happy to be a part of that. A few of the questions that I ask my guests, and you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, from startups to the, to the, the biggest name CEOs, I, I like to do this in baseball terms, but it's not necessarily a baseball question. I'll, I'll ask questions like, what's the biggest home run you've hit? Every now and then I'll have a CEO say, well, back when I was in high school, no, 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 I don't mean that, which is fine too, but... In terms of the museum, mm -hmm. what's the biggest home run that you guys have hit? You know, we've had some success. We really have. And, you know, we've had some, some incredible donors. We've done some incredible events. But for me, I, I look at two things. The 1995 reunion that we had when we brought over 250 of these former athletes back to Kansas City for a historic reunion, the largest reunion ever. And it wasn't the fact that it raised a tremendous amount of money, but as you could imagine, to have those legendary athletes back in one location, and they had not seen each other in 30, 40 years. And man, you talk about lying, they <laughs> lied for a while. You know the older we get, the better we get. And, and so, you know, they told some great lies, but to see the joy in their faces to see each other once again. You didn't know if it was gonna be for the last time. That, and at that time I was a volunteer for the museum. That certainly resonates with me. Uh, and I think being in Congress with Buck O'Neill, and Buck is testifying before a Senate hearing commission 
on the museum gaining national designation. And we're going through the, the all over the over Congress, and we're in the eating in the Senate dining room. And of course, you got the favorite, famous navy bean soup. And so Buck is sitting in the Senate dining room, and all these high-powered senators are coming over to say hello to Buck. They never do this. And everybody wanted to meet Buck O'Neill that day. And Buck didn't know who they were. We were there, <laughs> but you know, he was very cordial to, as he always was with everybody. And so he's sitting there in the Senate dining room. And you have to remember that Buck O'Neill is the grandson of a slave. And he's sitting in the Senate dining room having navy bean soup. And he lays back in the chair and he says, Senator O'Neill. That has a nice ring to it. <laughs> and, and to see the excitement on his face, he goes and div delivers this incredible testimony again. Most people, when they have to do this, you're only there if you have to be there. And again, all these senators come by to hear Buck's testimony. And of course, we gain national designation, and we're proudly now recognized as America's national Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So, you know, those are days that I remember most has nothing to do with the money or anything else that you take great pride in whenever you get a big hit you know, when you make, make some money and we're in the business of trying to raise money. But those two things, because it brought so much joy to some other people, I think stays with me. And then I like to ask guests about the biggest swing and miss because we all fail, but what do we learn from it? And, and instead of asking what the biggest swing and miss was, I, I want to ask you to tell the story about what most people felt was the biggest swing and miss by Major League Baseball, not putting Buck O'Neill into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. And it seemed like there was only one guy that was picking everybody up when they were down. <laughs> and it was Buck. And, and I, I would point to that as one of the big fails. You know, and again, I don't know if there was anything that any of us could have done to push this any greater than we had done so. And we all thought it was going to be a shoe-in. 2006, 12 years ago, as a matter of fact, uh, Buck is up for induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And quite frankly, they put the process together to put Buck O'Neill, and this was going to be the end all for other Negro Leaguers. So they're going to put everybody who deserved to be in, and that was going to wrap it up. But we all thought Buck was going to get in. It didn't happen. And we were all devastated. And I, I'll never forget the day, February 27, 2006, when I had to go deliver the news to Buck that he didn't get enough votes to get in. He missed by one vote. And I tell him, and he hits the table in utter jubilation because I just told him that 17 of his colleagues had gotten in. So he's not worried about the fact that he didn't get in. He's celebrating the fact that his colleagues got in. And so at the museum, for any of those of you who have been to the museum, we're down on the field of legends where the life-size statues are. We got over 300 people who had gathered for what we thought was going to be a Hall of Fame celebration announcement. Well, Buck comes downstairs and he gives the most amazing concession speech that I had ever heard. What he did that day was he literally wrapped his arms around a room full of people who were angry and bitter and upset. And he wrapped his arms around everyone in that room and said, it's okay. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't think old Buck was good enough. We got to live with that. But if I'm a Hall of Fame in your eyes, that's all that matters to me. Just keep on loving old Buck. And then he goes to Cooperstown, deliver this incredible speech on behalf of 17 dead folks who didn't have a voice. Now, I'll be honest. I'm trying to be more buck-like. I haven't got there yet. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress. I have no idea what the committee was thinking about when they elected 17 dead folks and left Buck O'Neill and Minnie Minoso out, who were the only two living guys on this entire list of those who were up for consideration 
and he gives this speech on behalf of 17 dead folks who didn't have a voice, one of the most selfless acts in American sports history. A little over two months later, he passed away himself at age 94, a month shy of his 95th birthday. It's an amazing and inspiring story, and, and I've heard that one a million times, and it, it still gets me every time. So we've got a few minutes left, and I, I wrap up every one of my podcasts with four final questions, kind of quick questions, some lighthearted, some not, rounding the bases. So we, we have four final questions. We'll see if we can do this in a few minutes. Good, I'm going to put good. you to the test here. <laughs> Question number one, Josh Gibson or Babe Ruth? Oh, man. Now I'm biased. Gibson. Hmm. Gibson. Gibson, Buck O'Neill would describe Josh Gibson in this manner, that he had the eyes of Ted Williams and the power of Josh of Babe Ruth rolled into one dynamic package. And where most power hitters are free swingers, they strike out 100, now 200 times mm-hmm. a year. Buck said Gibson might strike out 25 times in a season. He just put the ball in play, and he put it in play with a lot of power. His outs, as we say in the sport, were loud outs. Second question as we round the bases. Pick a few, 5, 10, whatever you want. Just rattle off the best Negro Leagues nicknames. Ooh, well, you got to start first and foremost, Cool Papa. The legendary James Thomas Cool Papa Bell. The greatest nickname bar none in baseball history. But you also had names like Boo June. And, and Judd Wilson had, his nickname was Boo June Wilson because of the sound of his line drives hitting off the outfield wall. Boo June. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, and you, you had guys like Double Duty. One of my favorite nicknames, Ted Double Duty Radcliffe. Passed in the last, yeah. what, five, six years? Well, he died, he died in 2005. It's been that long At 103, he earned his nickname Double Duty when the great sports writer Damon Runyon saw Duty catch a Satchel Paige shutout in the first game of the doubleheader, pulled off the catcher's gear, took the mound, and threw a shutout in the second game of the doubleheader and said it was worth the price of two admissions. He was Double Duty until the day he died in Chicago at 103 years old. Number three. This is my favorite story that Bob tells. <laughs> How fast was Cool Papa Bell? And to put it in perspective, Satchel says that Cool was so fast that he could walk in a room, turn off the lights, get in bed, pull up the covers before the room went dark. <laughs> and, and, and guys, that is actually a true story. That's a true story. But I tell people all the time, you don't have to fix a lot of speed of Cool Papa Bell. He once stole 175 bases in a less than 200-game season. He twice... Honest to God's truth, twice scored from first base on a bunt in exhibition games against Major League All-Stars. But Satchel and Kuhl were teammates on the great 1935 Pittsburgh Crawfords. Many believe the greatest baseball team ever assembled, five future Hall of Famers playing in their prime. So Satchel, Kuhl, Judy Johnson, Oscar Charleston, and Josh Gibson on the same team at the same time. So when they traveled, Satchel and Kuhl were roommates. So in this particular instance, Kuhl goes into the hotel room, turns on the light, there's a delay before the light comes on. He flipped that light switch off. There's a delay before the light goes off. Oh, Cool says, uh-huh. When Satchel gets to the room, Cool is laying waiting for him. Satchel gets in bed, Cool gets up. Rumi, I'm so fast, I can flip this light switch off, run over, hop in bed, cover up before the room gets dark. And Satchel's like, Cool, you fast, but you ain't that fast. <laughs> and so Cool Papa bet his meal money. And old Satchel took the bait. 
and one of the greatest sports pranks of all time because that light had a shortage in it. Cool was able to flip that light switch off, run over, hop in bed, cover up before the room went completely dark. <laughs> Satchel was so outdone that he just always told folks that Cool was that fast. My favorite story. Last question <laughs> as we hit the walk-off rounding the bases and, and we wrap it up here. Let, let's just talk a little bit about how people can get involved with the Negro League Baseball, Baseball Museum and what it represents. Well, it represents everything that's great about this country. It is America at her worst, but it's also America at her triumphant best. And so when you come there, the spirit of this nation resonates and the courage, the pride, the determination, the perseverance that these athletes demonstrated in the face of adversity. You see, our story is not about the adversity. It's so easy to get lost and dwell on the adversity. No, it's about what they did to overcome the adversity. That's the real story. And folks, that is a story that transcends race, it transcends age, and it transcends gender. And it is a story that our children absolutely need to be exposed to. If you haven't been to the Negro Leagues Museum, do yourself a favor. Come down and see old Bob and experience what the rest of the world is so excited about. And if you're so inclined, uh, you can become a member of our great organization and join thousands of people, many who will never step foot inside the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, who understand that it is so important that the legacy of the Negro Leagues plays on long after the last Negro Leaguer has left the face of this earth. We cannot allow this story to die. I tell our guests all the time, the Negro Leagues Museum doesn't need to survive. It has to survive so that we keep this precious piece of baseball and Americana alive. NLBM.com. It's at 18th and Vine in Kansas City. And I know that with the incredible Stacking Benjamins uh, listenership that there are people all around the country and the world that are listening. So if you come to Kansas City and you're lucky enough to come on a day to the museum where Bob is there, it's great no matter what, but you, you get these type of stories when Bob is there. There's great barbecue around the street, as many in our audience know right now, and throughout town. So, Bob, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thank to, you thanks to Joe and OG and Doug and all the Stacking Benjamins crew for allowing us to hang out here at the Improv. And we appreciate everyone listening to this episode of Rounding the Bases with Joel Goldberg and Bob Kendrick. Thank you. Thanks again to both Joel, Bob Kendrick, by the way, unbelievable. If you're ever in Kansas City, go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Have to. Yep. Yeah. But big thanks to Joel and the Rounding the Bases podcast and Chris from Popcorn Finance. I'm so thankful that both of you agreed to join us and uh, looking forward to Seth Ressler and the Debrief podcast tonight in Detroit. So come join us. Seven o'clock tonight, the show starts stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour. There is a chance, and this is weird to say, there's a chance that we're going to sell out this place. So you may want to come early. I hope we do. Maybe not. Who knows? Because we're recording this Also, there's early. a chance it might snow. That's what I was going to say. It could end up being a little like Kansas City where the weather worked slightly against us, but... Slightly. Ba ba <laughs> Don't go anywhere. There's a tornado warning. <laughs> Based on early numbers... 
this room only seats a hundred people. So, uh, early returns are in already. Okay. Early returns are in and, uh, looking good. So, uh, you might want to come a little early. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to once again, to, uh, all you who came out to the live shows, we'll see you guys tonight in Detroit. Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance. When you celebrate your wins and laugh about your biggest losses, you're more easily able to get back up, dust yourself off, and get on moving towards your goal. Second, how about Bob Kendrick and the Negro Leagues Museum? Those are some stories that need to be told, and Joel's helped us capture some amazing history with this episode. But the big lesson... Don't let Joe and OG convince you that baggage area is code for first class. Yeah, very funny, guys. Special thanks to Joel Goldberg for joining us. You'll find his Rounding the Bases podcast wherever you're listening to this show. Also, thanks to Chris Browning for joining in the fun in Orlando. You'll find Chris's show Popcorn Finance also you know, wherever you're hearing my voice. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. The one thing I have to learn to do, and this is going to be the shortest uh, after show ever, I have to learn to eat better on the road. Like I know watching documentaries of touring artists, they all say the same thing. Like the first few times it's a holiday. And after that, they're like, nope, you got, you got to buckle down and make the road your home because, oh my goodness. Both well, of- I thought about that when we were in Orlando, before we started going to Orlando, because I had some other work travel and hobby travel kind of, you know, this six week period of time was just ridiculous for me. And, and I even said it to you, but maybe flippantly, or maybe you didn't catch it, but I, I was very focused over the last six weeks of sleep well, eat well, just kind of stay in the same routine. Even if it means, 
you know, in a different place, you know, go to bed at a reasonable time. I know you think I'm a wet blanket when I'm like, yeah, dude, I got to go to bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you're I, like, but I want to go party. It's 1215. Let's do it. I'm like, yeah, I need to go to bed. I don't think you're a wet blanket. I know you're a wet blanket. Thank you for that. Yeah. But we did get to go downtown in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we went to, you didn't go to Arthur Bryant's with us. Downtown in Detroit? In Detroit. In Kansas City, I meant, sorry. Kansas City, yeah. Okay, my city. We may go downtown in Detroit. Yes. Uh, we'll see. But you didn't go to Arthur Bryant's with us because you just had breakfast and we were going for barbecue. Yeah. And what did Doug say to me afterward? I don't know if he said it to you. He goes, yeah, I shouldn't have gone. Because I had breakfast with Doug. He's like, I just wanted to try it. And then I got there and I was like, oh, meat sweats. Yeah. But what did he say about that barbecue? He said it was good. But... He he said what I knew was going to happen, which is you get there and you go, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll have some. Yeah, give me some of that. Yeah, I'll have some of that. And then you just like the whole rest of the day, you're just like, oh, that was a bad idea. Arthur Bryant's was so good. And we had heard from people that other barbecue was uh, better. Uh, Joe's is my favorite barbecue. And I know we're going get, to get letters, but first time there, we had to go to Arthur Bryant's. First time for a lot of these guys, I had to take them to Arthur Bryant's. So we went there and uh, had a great time. In Detroit, I think today, as people listen to this, you may see us at uh, Vincetta Garage. Okay. Love Vincetta Garage on Woodward. So good place there. A lot of fun. All right, guys. See you tonight. Time to go. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.